<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the director of Mary Poppins Returns, Rob Marshall. Hey everyone, this is Daniel Howitt, and I am here with a very special guest. You know, director Rob Marshall from such films as Chicago, Into the Woods, and of course, from this year's Mary Poppins Returns. Rob, thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely, nice to speak to you. First and foremost, congratulations on the success of the film. It is so much fun, such a fantastic film. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, it was a passion project for sure. I will say it took three years to make, and it really came directly from the heart. That's, that is for sure. You can tell. And obviously, this is a sequel to a massively beloved film. So what, what were your hesitations in coming on board? Um, what was the pressure like of following up the original Mary Poppins? Well, the first film means so incredibly much to me because it was the first film I ever saw as a child, which I think many people had that exact same experience, right. you know. So it... So when they came to me, it was daunting immediately because I thought, well, how do you do that? How do you create a sequel to that incredible film? But then what I realized as things progressed is that there were eight books that she wrote. So there was a lot of material to call from and to work from, even though the material is very episodic and we had to create a completely new narrative, uh, myself and David McGee and John DeLuca. There was, it was exciting to see how much material that P.L. Travers had written and how many more stories there were. So that was, I mean, that, that was the beginning of it. But then I also thought to myself, they're going to do this anyway. <laughs> so if anybody's going to do if the, if anybody's going to do it, I wanted to be that person to direct the film. Because right. I really wanted to pr- protect the spirit of the first film. That was something very important to me because it means so much. I didn't want it to be, I didn't want someone to screw it up, honestly. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I protected the spirit of the first film and ushered it into a a completely new original musical. And that was, that was my goal. I mean, I, and I will say the guiding force for me making this film was honestly the message of this film at this time, which was an injection of hope and light Hmm. into a dark time which is what I feel all of us are in. And we all need that injection of hope. I mean, and wonder and childlike sensibility and, and, you know, to become a kid again for a few hours to escape into the world of Mary Poppins. And, and I honestly, uh, it was very profound for me. There's something that really guided me in making this film and actually was the reason pretty much everyone wanted to be part of this. I Mm. mean, my first choice, like Meryl Streep and Colin Firth, and even for smaller roles, all said yes immediately because they wanted to be part of sending this message of hope out into the world now. And in bringing on Emily Blunt, um, 
uh, Mary Poppins is just such an iconic character. Mm-hmm. What sort of direction, how did you work with her in bringing the character of Mary Poppins back to life and, um, and try to make it uh, its own thing in this new film, but also honoring, honoring uh, the original? Sure. Well, that was the balancing act the entire time, so, uh, paying homage to the first film and mm-hmm. then obviously creating something completely new. And so the first thing that I did was I went directly to the books and set the bo- set this new film in the era of the books, which is the Depression era. It was the 30s. That's when they were written. Mm-hmm. And you feel the Depression era in the books. It's part of the DNA of, of what's in the books. And so I really wanted to bring that to life. In a way, it felt more accessible to me, that era. It felt more current. Yeah. So um, to, to set it in that time period and also gave us a whole new palette and a whole new time and a whole new place in a way to, you know, uh, uh, and, and that was something that really was helpful. And the same exact thing we did with, with Emily and myself, we went directly to the books to see who is this character. It's such a rich, wonderful, layered character with so many dualities because, you know, she's so proper and stern on the outside, but underneath she's a child inside Mm. and so eccentric and so funny, you know, and so vain and all these sort of crazy things. And I will say that Emily was able to play all of those layers. That's why it's such a great performance because it's not easy to do that, you know, and we found all these private moments throughout the film where you reveal the humanity of Mary Poppins. So she's just not a sort of a two dimensional character, but a fully realized person, even though you know very little about her there is a beating heart under there. And that's something that Emily and I really worked on, but it was really, it was the books that really got us there. You know, she's a little, she's a little um, more eccentric in the books in Mm. a way. And so, and, and when you read it and the books are a little darker, which is why we were able to go to a, and somewhat darker, darker place. What was your relationship like with uh, the songwriter, Scott Whitman and Mark Shaman? How involved were you in the songwriting process? How did you guys go about getting these amazing new songs on screen? Well, the only way to really work on a musical is to do it as a collaboration. It's the only way. And I started with John DeLuke and David McGee. We started by just writing a basic narrative and then brought Scott and Mark in almost immediately because it's it has to be seamless. Musicals are one of the hardest genres in the world to get right, because if you get it wrong, it does not work. It's like, you know, you go off the rails once and it just all falls apart. It's like a house of cards. It's I mean, I've done both. I've done musicals and I've done movies that are not musicals. And I'm telling you, musicals are twice as hard and (laughs) twice as complicated to make work because they're delicate. So Mark and Scott came on board early on and we were able to work through the entire film together and find places where we feel felt the songs lived and we would come up with sort of dummy names for them and ideas for them and then then they went away and wrote them but not until we had created the whole shape of it mm-hmm. the rhythm of a musical is so key because you have to earn a song it can't just all of a sudden just show up for no reason it has to feel seamless it has to feel like it comes out of the story and furthers the story and it has to feel like you know no one's singing I mean, the goal for me has always been to not even know when someone's singing. It feels mm. so organic. It feels very natural. And it's, it, it looks easy, and it should. At the end of the day, it should look all very effortless, but it's one of the hardest things in the world to get right. What is your favorite song in the film? Um, I will say, if I had to pick one, it's a, it's, that's a tricky one. But <laughs> for, me, it, for me, it's Where the Lost Things Go. Yeah, I'd love it, it was actually the first song they wrote. Um, 
And the reason I love it is I love what it says. It, it, it's such a poetic way of helping children deal with loss yeah. and understand how to move forward, that things are never lost. They're only out of place and they live forever. I mean, it's a beautiful way for this family that you care so much about for these children to accept and understand the passing of their mother. I mean, it's the hardest thing in the world. And so she does this beautiful, empathetic thing, Mary Poppins. She just helps them, guides them through it. And what's so beautiful in the film is that then they teach that same lesson to their father later in a reprise. I think it's a very poetically elegant song too. I mean, it doesn't come out. I mean, the great thing about Mary Poppins is she doesn't come out and just say what the lesson is. She lets them discover it. Yeah. And there's a, they, you know, Mark and Scott wait literally to like the final verse to basically bring up when you need her touch and loving care. That, that's when they reference the mother in a way, in a very elegant way. But it's there. And, 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 and the kids can move forward and helps them heal. I mean, she's there to help this family heal. And then she leaves, you know, right. she leaves without asking, asking anything in return. You know, of course, she denies anything ever happening, mm-hmm. but it's all it's, it's a big grandmaster plan. If you see the film a second time, it's very exciting to see how the film, how Mary Poppins's um, master plan un, unfolds throughout the film. I mean, she's way ahead of everybody. She's she you see it all. Every little moment, there's there, there's not a wasted moment from her. It's all planned so that it all falls together for this for you know for this family to actually come together and heal. Yeah, that's I love the through line of of lost things. That that's uh, that is my favorite song yes. as well. Uh, it's beautiful, yes. beautifully woven into the story. Yes, and I will say that the film is really about loss. Yeah. So it's not only the loss of this mother, but also Michael and Jane, who are now grown. They've really lost the their sense of wonder and joy and, and childlike imagination. They don't believe anything they do with Mary Poppins is real. All of that happens. You know, it's a natural thing that happens as you get older, as you become an adult, those things go away and you don't believe they're, they ever happen. And and then of course, at the end, they rediscover that, which is really the, the message of the film. Right. Well, one of the more fun sequences in the film is, of course, the Royal Dalton Bowl sequence. Yes, yes. Take yes. me through the creation of that that entire sequence. The animation is stunning. The way the live action elements Thank interact you. with the animation is is just phenomenal. So, take me through that the whole process of creating <laughs> that sequence. Well, it was the most challenging thing I've ever done in my entire life. I'm sure, sure, because I've never. I mean, it's all new territory for me, certainly. And I will say, um, to find artists and animators who work in the classic 2d hand-drawn style is was almost impossible to find we actually brought a lot of animators out of retirement to do it wow and um so i I, it was it was incredibly exciting but incredibly hard so layered um it was the first thing we shot because we had to get all that material every frame to the animators so they could draw it right um you know, what, what we had animators with us, it was a complicated because we had reference dancers and reference actors who would like, for instance, play the penguins or, even, or, or, or the animals or the flamingos or the coachman or the horse, that kind of thing. So, so the actors would have someone to react with. But then we had to pull them out while we actually shot the sequence because they all get replaced. Right. And then in addition to that, we had, you know, new music dance, of course. So everybody has to know exactly every moment, every frame 
shot by shot where things were going to be. So it was it was very technical. At the same time, I wanted to feel very free and loose. Yeah. So thank God we rehearsed for over two months to get there. Wow. With this sequence. And so as soon as we, and then we were ready to go. And um, I mean, the great thing is we shot that number with Emily and Lynn, which is called A Cover Is Not The Book. That's the first thing we shot. Hmm. And it was great to work with the two of them and the kids were in the audience. So we were working with sort of like this, you know, the, the core group of the film in a way. And, and it was an incredible launch to start with that sequence. And, you know, I, I, we learned so much from the animators. The animators learned from us how things worked. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, that's why the film's post-production took over a year, yeah. I think 14 months to deliver this because we had, you know, over 100 animators working in an incredible space in Pasadena day by day creating every frame of that. Well, it, the work pays off. That sequence is fantastic. There are so many... Oh, thank you. There are so many fantastic surprises in this film, sweet moments pop up. So tell me honestly, is Dick Van Dyke superhuman or were there special <laughs> effects involved? Tell me tell me what happened there. He's superhuman. Okay, I all mean, right. He's my hero. He's my hero. I mean, every frame of that is him. He doesn't need any help. He's <laughs> extraordinary. I mean... He's, he really he, he sort of is the message of this film about keeping the child inside alive. I mean, that's just who he is. He's so incredible. I mean, he grabbed my hand as we walked onto the set for the first time and said, I feel the same spirit here on this set as I did on the first film. Wow. And that was the greatest moment for me personally, because I thought, well, that's it. That's what that was the goal. And then to have that spirit in this film and see him just launch up onto that desk and, you know, you know, we asked him to do this. Would you do, you know, and he said, of course I can do that. You know, <laughs> and he gets up there and I mean, it's just like he defies everything. And honestly, I mean, we were all so moved. I mean, I couldn't even breathe by the end of that day when he delivers that monologue to the kids. I couldn't even call cut. I was so, I was mm -hmm. literally in tears because I couldn't believe that we'd come full circle with that extraordinary man. 54 years later, basically playing the same role that he played in the first film. Yeah. It was one of the most thrilling moments for all of us. We will, I will never forget it as long as I live. That's amazing. Well, you've, you've done probably 100 of these interviews at this point, so, and, and we've probably all asked <laughs> the same questions. So what about the film do you feel like not enough people have noticed or singled out, or, or at least mm -hmm. that you haven't had an opportunity to, to kind of talk about? That's a lovely question. I will say for me, I think people see it as a film maybe for children, kind of a light fair, but I don't believe that to be the case. I think this is a very profound film that's for adults. I think it's about looking inside yourself for a sense of wonder. And it's something I feel that is so needed in today's world. We are all so cynical and this movie's void of cynicism and I also believe void of sentimentality. That was important to keep it very true. And I think people can dismiss something like this very easily as trivial. To me, it's incredibly profound um, film because I think we all need to remember deeply that how to approach life with, with a, that sense of joy, with a sense of wonder, with a sense of childlike, um, you know, view on, of life, because why get up in the morning if it's just a dark time? And it, we all need this. And, and I've seen the emotion that people have come out of this with. I mean, whether in tears or 
lifted so in a place that they haven't been for a long time or they feel like they've returned to their childhood. It's very nostalgic in that way. So I think it's a movie that actually has deep resonance for adults. And, and it's beautiful to bring your family so everyone can experience it too. But I do feel that's the one thing I would say. Do, do not dismiss this as, as a light ch- children's fair. It, it has a lot to say. Well, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for the film. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Absolutely. We wish you the best of luck throughout the rest of award season. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Take care now. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the director of Mary Poppins Returns, Rob Marshall. You've been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback, as well as your support, which you can give to us if you head on over to Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening once again, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.